All right. Man, the ladies would be proud. <laughs> that's great. The guy's just sharing. That's a, that's a, I've always thought that was kind of a girl word, sharing. But I'm, I'm glad you guys are doing that. That's great. Part of my method to my madness on this is to do just that, for you guys to get to know each other, take some time. And um, I'm hoping that uh, maybe you can have some good relationships that are outside of your work, outside of your family, and uh, guys that are in the church, brothers, you know, like iron sharpening iron. That's why we call this Ironworks, is because that's really part of the goal. Is that it's not just uh, me teaching at a thing. Uh, I love doing that. That's, that's what I love to do. But, but it's, it's hopefully the fruit of this will be more uh, springing out from this meeting, uh, guys uh, and friendships and getting to know one another and uh, maybe even working out some uh, small groups that get together on a more regular basis out of this group. So that, that'd be great. If we, could, if we could get you guys hooking up maybe uh, once a month or twice a month with, with two or three guys and just say, man, we're going to pray together. We're going to get in the Word together. We're going to be accountable one to another. We're going to ask the right questions. We'll talk about what all that looks like, I think, in a future session because that's part of our, our deal. Uh, the guys in the church that have that already uh, just tend to do well. And man, there's just, it's just healthy to have a guy who knows all your weakest uh, uh, struggles. And, you know, it's, it's like Chuck Colson used to say. Remember Chuck Colson was part of the Watergate scandal, Richard Nixon? For you uh, younger guys, uh, that's a long story. But, uh, but Colson was kind of at the thick of that and did some hard time for his involvement with the president and the uh, taping uh, there at Watergate. Uh, but Colson became a, a strong believer and, uh, and walking with the Lord. And his whole thing uh, was this. He said, every man should have two other brothers in the Lord who could put him in jail if they, if they wanted to. <laughs> and I think that's true. I think that's good. Uh, guys that kind of know your, the things that you wrestle with, and they're not going to go blab it to uh, everybody around, but, but you can really come alongside of each other and, and, and strengthen one another. So that's, that's part of the goal uh, of what we're doing. Um, another thing that uh, we're going to be talking about uh, in future times, not today, but is um, uh, what does a, a family devo look like? Uh, family devotions. And, um, and how do you pull that off? And, and what are some good ideas? And one of the things I've been kind of wanting to do, just for fun, because I know a lot of you guys, uh, especially you guys that have kind of been older and through the whole raising of kids, um, uh, you can recall certain family devos that l- left a big impact, particularly on your kids. Um, you know, uh, and, um, and what I want to do is I'm going to, I've actually, this is, this is about as organized as Athey Creek ever gets right here. We got a form um, that, uh, that uh, it's, it, we're calling it the family devotional form. And what we're going to do is have anybody who wants to take, uh, take one or two or three of these forms and fill them out and tell us what was your, your favorite uh, kind of family devotional that you led. What was the object? What was the lesson? What were you teaching? What was the scripture that you were sharing with your kids? And, and um, what was the age group of your kids at the time? So just kind of give us some of the details. And, um, and then we're going to go through and kind of choose uh, a whole uh, year's worth of uh, um, of, uh, of family devos, that is uh, once a week, not that that's what family devos should be, but we, we want to give you a, we're going to make a little uh, thing either online or something where you'll be able to just say, okay, this week I'm going to pull off the, the athe- uh, family devotion from one of the brothers at church. And, um, you know, uh, they're just fun stuff you can do. Uh, there's certain ones I did that were kind of memorable, at least for me. I don't know, Joe, if you remember some of these, but uh, um, I, I remember one of my favorite ones, and I did this actually more than once because it was so much fun, and that took all of Joey's uh, wooden blocks. You know, we had those, remember those really cool color wooden blocks? Best toy of all. You know, you just stack as high as you can to the ceiling. and all. Well, we made Jericho. We made the city of Jericho, and uh, me and Joey and Brooke and Casey and Debbie were all there in our living room, and, uh, you know, Joey was probably three or four at the time, and, and uh, we stacked the blocks and made the walls of Jericho, and we had, had chariot races up on the top because 
that you could do that with the walls of Jer- Jericho. And, and then we also made sure it had Rahab's house, and we hung a little scarlet red thread out of the, out of the Rahab's house uh, and, um, and just did the whole thing. And, and the fun part is uh, having the kids march around. And we, you know, we sang the song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, as they were marching around the walls. And the, the best part is when the walls come a-tumbling down, you know. And, uh, and the kids just kind of destroyed Jericho. Um, but I made them destroy it from the inside out. Uh, you had to start from the inside and push out because that's, it's, it, it's interesting because if you go to Jericho today, to the ruins, uh, they dug about 40 feet under the ground of Jericho and found ancient walls. Nelson Gluick, who was a, a British um, archaeologist, not a believer, by the way, he, um, he said that one of the strange things about the walls of Jericho is they fell from the inside out, which was unusual. Usually they would be knocked down from the outside in under siege or battle. But he said it's almost as if there was an invisible hand that pushed the walls out. (laughs) And so that's what we did. The kids, they pushed the walls out. And except for Rahab's house, we kept her safe. Uh, Everything came down except for Rahab. And, you know, we just kind of talked about the story and then applied it to our lives that Man, even though the impossible might seem uh, like you can't do it, the Lord is the one who fights for us and wins the victory. And just a simple family devo, you know, something like that. Uh, and uh, that'll be one I'll probably write down and put in in my entry or, or something. But whatever uh, you've done that was kind of fun for family de- devos. My dad was great with power tools, man. We'd go out in the garage for most of our, our family devos, and, and he would uh, take a, a chunk of rough wood and, and um, just start talking. And we'd be listening, and he'd be talking about this rough wood, and I'd get splinters, you know, this rough sawn, you know, it was like a four-by-four four block. And, and uh, he, just, he just took his router and just routed all he had. We're all watching, you know. And, and then he took his belt sander, put it in the vice. And, and in just in a few minutes, he had that thing pretty smooth. But then he had all of us, you know, we, we started getting a little finer grit of sandpaper. By the end of the lesson, we had this shiny piece of wood that was all polished up and he just told us how we're all a work in progress, and we have rough edges and splinters. And, um, the, and he talked about Ephesians uh, chapter 2. We are his workmanship created in Christ to, to do good works. And, and it was kind of a cool lesson, one that I remember. And uh, just that's kind of what we want to go for here. So, man, give us your entries. Tell us what worked for you. Um, and uh, we're going to help some of the young fathers who are just like, man, what, what, what does Family Devos look like? So that, that's that. That, that. If you want one of these, they're back at the back table in the foyer. Grab, grab one or three or five uh, as uh, you might have more than in one entry. Uh, hey, let's get to it. I want to share with you from Romans chapter 12. Why don't you turn there at this time, Romans 12. While you're turning there, just a quick review from last time, a month ago or so. Um, uh, I think one of the biggest troubles is men feel like they fail. And it doesn't take very long for a guy to, to say, you know what, I give up. Uh, and, and it partially is due to maybe the narrative that, man, you need to have God as number one in your life. And we talked about that last week. Question, should God be number one in your life? No. <laughs> the answer is no. I don't believe God wants to be on your list. I don't think uh, God wants to be right there with your, uh, you know, splitting firewood, God, uh, or whatever your priorities are, golf. Uh, uh, I believe God should not be number one in your life, but the answer to that question is Christ is your life. He, he is your life. And we looked at Colossians chapter 3 uh, uh, last time where Paul the Apostle made that declaration uh, that Christ is our life. And what you'll find as you go through the Bible and read, you, you realize that the Scriptures teach that, that it's not about making Him priority. It's just being in Christ, and Christ in you. And, and it's, uh, it's 24-7, you know, uh, and, it's, and it's just the Lord filling your life, working through your life. Uh, it's not a compartmentalized life, but the man of God will have um, God as his life. It is his life. And God is over all those things, golf and wood splitting and uh, marriage and church and job and occupation, all that stuff. Uh, that's, that's one of the keys. And the reason why that's essential to know is because if God is supposed to be number one in your life, then when you go to work and put in a 40 to 80 hour work week and you realize you only gave God, you know, a couple hours at church and 
you gave God a few, few morning devotions for a few minutes, and you gave God a little prayer once, you, you realize that, man, I gave God like maybe a total of four hours this week, but I gave my occupation all those, you know, hours of work, and I failed. God is not number one in my life. And guys, guys, I know guys that beat themselves up, feeling like they, they're just not spiritual enough or they haven't measured up and their wives must think they're a loser because they, they don't really pray enough or talk about Jesus enough or any of that. And there's just, just this pressure. Um, and I want to remove all that pressure, but uh, it, it's kind of a tricky deal because the pressure is not to say, hopefully you do more uh, to get your tally up in God time. Um, but what we want to explore is what Paul is talking about here in Romans 12. How, how does that practically work to have Christ be your life? Um, well, it has to do with what you do with your life, and the answer is kill it. Kill it. Kill your life. Die, right? Isn't that what Jesus talked about? He said, die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you seek to gain this life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll what? You'll gain it, right? And so in that same way, uh, Jesus talked a lot about this. I like the way Paul the Apostle uh, dealt with it right here in Romans 12. Let's take a look. Chapter 12, Romans verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here it is. Paul's making this classic statement. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, uh, that you, uh, by the mercies of God, that you present your, your bodies a living sacrifice. Um, this is kind of the key. You know, it's interesting because, um, uh, you know, a lot of people are pretty bummed out with the way things are going in our world today. Um, uh, one of the top of, of those that are frustrated with life uh, is, interestingly enough, college freshmen. Um, in fact, this uh, article came out uh, um, a few years ago, actually. College freshmen are more miserable than they've been in 25 years. Uh, the New York Times is reporting this based on a new survey of more than 200,000. That's a big study, 200,000 college students. And here's the main things. Uh, that they, that here's what you need to know about this. Uh, women have less positive views of their emotional health than men. And the economy is lousy. Uh, it doesn't take the New York Times to tell you that. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of pressure to get an MBA or a PhD. Um, uh, the, the pressure kind of makes people feel depressed. But college kids, because one of the things that they found in the study was um, more college kids than ever, freshmen, enter into college and they're on uh, prescription pills uh, for, for depression um, more than ever. Experts believe you'll be less successful than your parents, hence the pills. Uh, in a couple of years, you'll, you'll have to get a real job and you'll have to pay rent. That was one of the things that the freshman college students said they're really depressed about. You have to get a real job and you have to pay rent. Um, but the worst part of all this, people you know may be complete idiots who will make a lot more money than you do. Uh, you'll run into them over the years from time to time and you'll have to pretend you like them because that's what adults do. College kids are saying, man, we could be real uh, when we were young. Now we have to start being serious and be nice to people. Um, uh, the 20th century uh, philosopher Ali Sheedy observed once, he said, once you grow up, your heart dies. And that's really what these college freshmen feel. Their heart is dying as they get older and life gets so daily and they have to get a job and get into the grind. Um, and, uh, and then they, they did a whole thing on why college uh, students are so much into drinking more than ever and drowning their sorrows, kind of. It's, and it's, it's really a sad uh, story when you look at it. Um, and, and the problem uh, is largely the mindset of the college student is they're pr pretty much living for themselves, thinking about themselves and what they're going to do. Um, the college students that seem to be happier 
were ones who were thinking about others and how they could serve others and esteem others, which is an interesting concept, esteeming others better than yourself. That's a biblical theme. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 39 says, he that find, this is Jesus talking, says, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Um, you see, the point is uh, that this idea of losing your life, giving your life over as a sacrifice, it's something that we've lost. The idea of being given to just service. Saying, I'm just going to give it all over to the Lord. I'm going to do it for others. I'm going to let the Lord be my motivation. It's going to be the love of Christ that will constrain me. Rather than, I'm going to get a great job, and I'm going to make a ton of money, and I'm going to get a big house, and I'm going to, you know, get things squared away. And, and if that's your motivation, even if you get those things, you know it to be true. That's not really what brings happiness. In fact, just, just observation, I, I wouldn't make this a scientific study, but what I have noticed is um, those of us that have the more, uh, I don't think we're happier. In fact, I still think the, the, that I've, I've noticed that people who have less are often happier than people that have more. And you have your extremes. You got you know, Lake Oswego, and then you got Burkina Faso. That's kind of the extreme. Uh, but uh, man, you go to Burkina Faso, Africa, there in West Africa, and and they're some of the happiest, most loving, kind-hearted guys you'll ever meet. Man, I wish I could take all you guys over there sometime and just meet the brothers in Burkina Faso. It's an amazing, radical life changer to see these guys who just love Jesus. And they've, they, they've, they kind of made their lives a living sacrifice because that's all they really can do. There's no other option. We, we have all these other options other than giving our lives over to the Lord and, and serving Jesus. Uh, that's really all they have. And so when I think about that, I think, man, Lord, help us. Lord, give us understanding of what, what in the world is Paul trying to say here in Romans chapter 12, that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Let, let's break it down a little bit, if you would, and, and if you're taking notes, maybe you can uh, jot some of these things down, because there's some, there's some key factors to this. First of all, the, the word beseech. I beseech you, therefore. That's in the King James. What does the NIV say there? Encourage? Yeah, it's funny because the, the, the Greek word here is a word that's so strong, it, it doesn't really translate great in the English. According to the Greek scholars, um, they talk about how this word is, is way stronger than just, I'm urging you or just want you to do this. Um, the word beseech, it's an interesting uh, Greek word, it's parakleo, and it means to ask for something earnestly and with propriety, to ask earnestly to request, to plead for, to appeal, and to beg. Earnest request and appeal. The idea is almost Paul is begging us. He's saying, I beg of you, brethren. Now, this is another thing. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's talking to the church. He's not, he's not saying that I want you to present your body a living sacrifice so that you might be saved. He's talking to people who are already saved because he's calling them brethren. So I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, the word therefore is an interesting word, too. Uh, the Greek word there uh, is not as impressive as parakleo. It's um. Yep, um. That's the word. Uh, I love it in the Greek. Uh, therefore, um. Uh, it's, it's a marker of a result, uh, implying the conclusion of a process or of reasoning. So whenever you see what the word therefore, you have to see what it's there for. And uh, what is it there for? Well, you kind of have to read Romans 1 through 11. Because Romans 1 through 11 gives us all this glorious truth about salvation, our sinful condition, and what God has done for us. That Jesus came and died, uh, even though while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. And, and some of the most powerful gospel uh, descriptions are in Romans uh, 1 through 11. So then Paul, after giving us the, the, the Christianity 101, the owner's manual to Christianity, the book of Romans, now he says, now, in light of all that stuff, the salvation that God has given, that Jesus came and died and, and was your substitution, and you're justified by faith through Jesus, and all this great doctrine, he says, now, I beseech you, therefore, because of all that, because of what Christ has done for you. When you think about that, that's kind of an interesting 
deal because when I, when I really take time to think, okay, what did Jesus do for me? He gave it all. Like the old hymn, he gave it all, all to him I owe. Um, I owe him everything. Um, and so it starts to make me realize that Paul is making a point here saying, because the Lord has done so much for you, what is required for us? Well, even though we talked about dying to self and taking up your cross, he doesn't want you to die, literally. But I think there's a figurative dying to oneself that needs to happen in a man's life before he can be effective, before he can really see the fullness of what God really wants for him. You've got to die to yourself. Give up your thing. Let go of even your dreams and the desires that you have and say, Lord, your will, not mine. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Some of you guys are like, man, that's so depressing. No, uh, remember, delight thyself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, if you want the proper desires in your life, then you need to delight in the Lord. Then he will give you the desires of your heart that are legit, that are, that are worthwhile, that are going to be powerful and, and important in your life. But first, you've got to sacrifice, die to yourself, delight in the Lord, and press in and say, Lord, what do you have for my life? Too many guys tack that question on much, much too late. They're already well on their way to their career. I, I bet you a lot of you older guys think, man, if I could do it over again, what would you do? You know, have you ever thought about that? If you were to tell a young guy who's just getting out of college or, or just out of high school, and he's got his whole life ahead of him, he's not married, uh, he hasn't really locked into his career, what would you tell him? Uh, are there things that you wished you would have done differently? And, um, and if you have any of those regrets, chances are it would have been good for you back in those days to stop and pause and say, Lord, I want to make myself a sacrifice, give my life to you. Um, I talked to all these married guys who have kids and, and they want to go, go do great things for the Lord. But once you kind of get locked into a certain family, leave it to beaver deal, uh, you're kind of locked in. And there's not, it's not as easy to go do the things that God would have you to do. Um, Paul makes the argument, by the way, for singleness. I would that you all be single like me. And the point is so he can serve the Lord and give his life wholly over to the Lord and for his purpose. Uh, we in our culture say, no, 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 man, we, before you get out of college, you better find a wife and get married. So if you're a single guy, I want to encourage you, don't, don't feel that pressure. The best thing in the world you could do is to present your body a living sacrifice unto the Lord, which is well-pleasing to him. Uh, and then if it includes marriage and a career and occupation, great. But to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added. Well, Brett, what if it's too late? What if I've already locked in and I'm already kind of locked down? Um, that's okay. We can know right now that's the will of God for your life right now. Uh, and, and that's okay because God can use even the things, even if you messed up, just say. If you messed up in your life, in your planning of your life, uh, one of the great things is how the Lord turns the messes that we've made and he can turn that around for good and still use us as a living sacrifice so that's kind of what we're wanting to consider here, this idea of being a living sacrifice, giving our whole life to God. It's, it's not compartmentalizing. It's not saying, Lord's number one in my life. We're saying, Lord, I give you my life. My life is yours. Um, do with it whatever you want. Are you really willing to say that? That's the big question. Because we can theorize here in the safety of a sanctuary and say, Lord, I give you all my life. We sing, we sing that all the time. I give you my all. Um, remember Ananias and Sapphira? I always love that story. We gave all. And remember Peter said, really, Ananias, you gave it all? All. He drops dead because he was lying. Well, they dragged him out before he was even cold. Uh, Sapphira walks in looking for Ananias. Hey, have you seen my husband? Uh, uh, well, where, 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 what do you think he's doing? Well, he, we, we're, we gave all. Peter said, did you really give all? Yes, we did. She's dead. They drag her out. And we sing in our sanctuary uh, songs about how we gave all to you. Uh, I surrender all. Um, next, next time you're saying, I surrender most. Uh, some. 
You know, it's, it's funny how we, we could convince ourselves that we've done it. But, but the idea of a living sacrifice uh, to the Lord is just saying, Lord, my life, I'm going to give you my life. And what does that mean? Um, it, it, it just means that whatever the Lord would have for you to do, you're just going to go with that. And you're going to go with the flow of what the Lord calls you to be and do. And, and you're going to die to yourself on the things that you really think are going to be important and, and are, are great in your life. And, and uh, some guys, well, what if I miss out on that fun or that thing that I want to do? Here's the thing. I think that, you know, now that I'm getting to that age where we're, you know, Deb and I are pretty much empty nesters and, you know, and kind of seeing the direction our life is, is taken, uh, I don't expect any giant uh, transfers of occupation or uh, any, any massive changes uh, uh, as much, but uh, there's still a lot of things I don't know about in my future. But the truth is, um, you know, I, I pretty much know what the Lord's called me to do. But I, but I wonder if you could say, this is what the Lord has called me to be as a living sacrifice to him. This, this is just my whole all-encompassing life. This is how it applies to me and my life. And that's what I would, I would in, encourage you to pray about and say, Lord, do you have a clear direction for me to, to have that, not that prioritized life, but to have Christ be my life? And, and, and here's some tests that you can give yourself. Do people know that you're a Christian? Uh, do people at your work know that you're a believer? Uh, if it became illegal to be a Christian tomorrow, and um, everybody uh, would go to prison if, if you had enough evidence to convict you, would people at your work say, oh man, we know the first one is going to be marched right down to the jail? because you're just so much a Christian and you're, you're so bold in your faith. The Bible talks about the wicked flee when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So have you been bold in your faith? Uh, or, or do people kind of go, oh, he's a nice guy, and I don't know, maybe he's a Mormon or <laughs> one of them Catholics or something. Maybe he's a Muslim. Uh, do they know that you're a Jesus follower or that you've uh, presented your body, your life, uh, unto the Lord. That's just a, a good litmus test for you. Uh, if, if you really have kind of made your life where, where it, it's a living sacrifice that's well-pleasing to the Lord. Bible talks about how if we're ashamed of the gospel before men, um, that's going to affect the relationship that we have before God. And there's lots uh, that, that the Bible tells us about that. So we have to be cautious about that. Say, Lord, have I done what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is telling me to do? Uh, let's, let's, let's think about this for a second. So um, um, why do we want to do this? You know, it's interesting. He says, um, by the mercies of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You know, the NIV gets it wrong there. I'm sorry, uh, where it says by the mercy. Singular. Uh, it's not singular. It's, 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 it's a plural form of mercies. And the reason that's important is because we have mercy upon mercy. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. His mercy fails not. His mercy endures forever. The reason that's important, it's not just that he gave you mercy when he saved you, but it's that morning by morning, daily mercy that God gives you. That is part of our motivation to say, I'm going to present my body, my life, everything I am, all that I am, I'm going to just surrender it to the Lord. Why? Because his mercies, um, the mercies of God, that's, that's part of our, our motivation. Um, I, I don't give the Lord my all because I fail to understand how merciful he's been to me. That, that's part of the problem. Um, so there's three main things here I want us to grab. First, um, that we are to submit, number one, our bodies. Uh, and then we are to submit, number two, our mind. And then number three, we are to submit our will. These are all kind of um, tucked into this, this uh, little passage of Scripture, verse 1 and 2 of Romans 12. Submit your body. That's number one. Now, what does he say about this? Submitting your body, uh, according to this, is your reasonable service. It's interesting to me how reasonable Christianity really is. Have you found it to be reasonable? Um, you know, um, I love... Uh, how the Lord is logical and reasonable. Um, even Isaiah talks about that. You know, um, I love this. He says, um, 
you know, this idea of, of the Lord it says, come now, let us reason together, Isaiah 1, 18. Let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What's, what's Isaiah saying? Let's reason. This is a reasonable discussion. So Isaiah says it's reasonable that, that the Lord came and, and died on the cross for our sins, and though our sins are ugly and messed up, he washes us clean. That's reasonable. And then Paul would jump on that and say, yeah, that's reasonable, but also, huh, it's also reasonable then, therefore, uh, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice because of what he's done for us. It's reasonable. So he says it's a reasonable service that you submit your body. Um, this is your reasonable service. Um, by the way, let me, just, let me just throw this in, guys. I, I believe you can take this and, and conclude. God will not ask any of you guys to do something that's not reasonable. Um, I, I think I've seen, maybe you have too, over the years, people that do things that are kind of unreasonable. And they do it in the name of the Lord, but I'm not sure the Lord ever was requiring that of them. And, and let me just say this. I, I think that oftentimes you and I, we tend to be more unreasonable on our own expectations of ourselves than perhaps God's expectations are on you. Man, I should probably go be a missionary in Africa and eat bugs and, you know, touch and heal the leper and do all that stuff. Uh, probably not. That's probably not what God has called you to do. But maybe the leprous guy at work that nobody wants to talk to, that everybody hates and they think is a total jerk, and, the, and for whatever reason, um, that guy has failed in the area of friendships and relationships. Maybe that's the leper, if you would, that the Lord would want you to touch. That's reasonable. Uh, I think that that's, that's something to remember, is that if the Lord's calling me to do something, it's a reasonable thing. Now, what's amazing to me is some of you have been called to things that may not be reasonable for other guys. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing to see some of, some of the things the Lord has called guys to do. You know, Randy Varga here uh, is a guy who's going back to Uganda, um, sold his business, moved to Uganda, caring for people who are uh, in real trouble. And uh, that's just a cool thing. And for him, that's reasonable. And it's not only reasonable to him, he's excited about it. Uh, who can figure that? Uh, he's excited about living in Uganda. But that's when you know God has called you. Is, is, man, you're just, you're just pumped about the idea. Um, but don't forget, God is reasonable. That's part of the deal here. So it's your reasonable service to submit your body. He says that you, um, you know, that you uh, submit your bodies, present your bodies, a living sacrifice, which is reasonable. Now, question. What part of your body do you submit? Well, you know, you could say all, but the scriptures teach that you're made up of three parts. It's kind of like God is a three-part being, a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the same way you were and I, we were created in God's image. And I believe we have that same three-part. It's not nearly as impressive as God in his holiness, but we have a, a body. That's the shell, the tent Paul talks about. We have a soul and we have a spirit. Your soul is your mind, your emotions, the part of you that thinks and feels. Your spirit is the part that interacts with God, that deals with spiritual things that is eternal and important. Body, soul, and spirit. And I believe the Lord wants us to present all of that to the Lord. But the body part is the flesh, that part of, of you that wants to sin. And so Romans, actually later, Paul would actually uh, even talk further about this. Let's do a little romp through Romans here. Look at Romans chapter 6 real quick. Flip over there. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. It says in Romans six twelve, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. What does it say? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body uh, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. That's this first part of sacrificing your body is sacrificing that part of you that wants to sin. I like that it says don't let sin reign in your body because even Paul would wrestle with sin, wouldn't he? We all struggle with sin, but the idea is not letting sin reign in your body. Um, you and I will have sin. It's a little bit like maybe cancer, really. Cancer will wipe you out. 
But there's people that live with cancer, but you don't want that cancer to reign in your life because that's deadly. And so you want to conquer that. And there might be the cancer cells, and they might be in remission, and they're still there. In a way, that's kind of the situation that we're in. And ultimately, we will be healed. When we see him, we will be like him. We'll be healed of our sin, our cancer of this life. But until that happens, you and I, uh, we still have sin in us. Oh, we've been forgiven. He's taken our sins. And uh, I had a question a while back. Guy said, why do you always say we're still sinners? We've been saved. Our sins have been put away. Positionally, that's true. Practically, we know we have a long way to go, don't we? But if you're a man who's allowed sin to reign in your life, then that's a dangerous and deadly combo right there. Paul makes this charge. Guys, don't let that... And it's funny, he uses the word lust, that in your mortal body that you should not obey uh, those lusts thereof. I think with men, it's like um, Satan has a playbook in his uh, entourage of plays. But um, I remember when I was in junior high, we played against this one team. Um, and um, there, was a, there was a kid in junior high, middle school, who was 400 pounds and probably 6'3". Um, and he was, just, he, was, he was just a big kind of blubbery guy. Um, but they ran one play all day. And it was just, he was the tailback. And the quarterback would just turn around and hand on the ball. And he just kind of... <laughs> And all of us junior hires would be dragging on his ankles, you know, uh, all the way down. And he'd score. And it was so frustrating. I remember that being one of the most frustrating uh, games of my life, uh, all the way back in junior high. Um, but here, oh, and that's the guy that stepped on my foot and broke my little toe. And it's my cleat. He stepped on my foot. My cleat punched through the bottom of my shoe and broke my little toe. And I remember uh, talking to my dad about that, and my dad said, there's always a guy like that. Uh, he's going to be in your life. He's going to mess with you, and he's going to make you angry, and that's just life. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> Found it to be true. But of all our enemies, Satan runs that same play over and over and over, right up the middle of your life, uh, the area of lust. Um, we're going to probably camp out on that topic uh, coming up here in, in one of our next uh, seasons here in, in our, our men's study here because um, it's, it's, a, it's a disease that I'm, I'm afraid in our culture with iPhones and iPads and computers and all the stuff that we can get, uh, you know, tangled up in lust. That's something that we're, we've, got a, we've got a nip in the bud right now. It's, it's a cancer. And it's raining in guys' lives. And, and because of that, there's death and there's destruction. And they see families being messed up and lives being destroyed. And man, we gotta, we gotta, we're going to be praying about that, talking about that. But we're kind of starting at a high level here. And, and we're going to work into some zeroed-in topics. So that's kind of the goal. So this idea of presenting your body, the idea is that you can't let sin reign. So that means there's a battle going on. You can't let it reign in your life. You've got to do battle. The day you give up and just let sin reign in your life is the day you're in big trouble. When you no longer have that conviction in your heart, when you no longer say, man, I'm, I'm fighting against this, I'm, I'm wrestling against this. By the way, um, in the, uh, people always say, Brett, what's the big deal about homosexuality? What's the difference between homosexuality and any other sin? There's no difference. Um, but I would argue that there is. And uh, it has to do with letting a sin reign in your life. Uh, unchecked, unrepentant of, uh, because those who continually practice sin, the Bible says, will not in inherit the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians tells us that. So the problem is, like, if you're a guy that wrestles uh, with, say, pornography, I would say to you that if you just say, uh, oh, I, just, I just like pornography and it's harmless visual stimulus, and I'm just going to uh, stop even trying because it's just the way God created me, then I'd say you're in big trouble. And I would also say those who continually practice fornication, sexual, the, the Greek word for that is porneia. That's also in that list of things that you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven if you continually practice those things. But what about eternal security? Let's not get all into the nuances of that as much as that's an interesting discussion. The truth is I don't even want to play with it. 
Uh, if the Bible says those who continually practice fornication will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So here's the truth of the matter. I, I've really rarely met the guy that says, you know what, I'm just going to do the porn thing because I know it's, it's just okay for me. Rarely have I ever seen that. But with the homosexual issue, our culture, our world is all saying, celebrate it. Um, lock yourself into it and don't let anybody change you. And even the church, sad, sad to say, is not even labeling it sin anymore. So once it starts to reign, anything that the Bible calls sin, and we say, we're not even going to try anymore, we're not even going to fight against it, but we're going to celebrate it, then we're in big trouble. So that's the main difference. Nobody says, I'm going to now embrace the wife-beating uh, attitude. Well, Brett, uh, I just have an anger problem. I'm sorry. Tough. That's just the way I was born. It's in my genetic makeup. Does anybody say, well, that's okay, celebrate anger? No, because it's, it's a sin. It's going to destroy you and others. In the same way, um, the Bible talks about how homosexuality is a sin, and it's going to hurt the person who's just continually practice and letting that reign in their lives. That's why it's different, perhaps, because people are saying, we're going to celebrate it. Now, with you and me and all of us, we have to be careful to say we're going to always fight uh, against it. That's what it says. Don't let the, in your mortal body, let that sin reign. Uh, that's the first thing, Romans 6, uh, verse 12. Also, look at Romans 13. Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 14. It says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. What part of your body are you supposed to have submitted to God? Your whole body. And, and how do you do that? You put on Jesus Christ. It's, it's not a compartmentalized thing. It's saying, I'm going to just put Jesus on. He's going to cover me. He's going to cover my life. And that's, that's part of the whole deal. Um, also, 1 John chapter 2. Uh, it says this. Uh, you can jot that down. 1 John two seventeen. It says... And the world, the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Again, the Bible talking about how this idea of your body and, your, and the lust of, your, of the flesh, it's not just sexual impurity, it's that for sure, but it's anything that our body is, you know, for some, uh, you know, we all struggle, we all have our struggles. For some, it's, it's uh, lust for women, or others, it's, it's a big hamburger for McDonald's. Uh, for others, it's, it's trying to find the next rush in your life and thrill or whatever. Everybody's got their thing, and we have to be careful to submit our bodies, to sacrifice our body and say, we're going to push that down, and we're not going to give in, uh, and we're going to struggle. The reason I say we're going to struggle is because not everybody's going to have victory uh, all the time. That's another thing I think guys give up on um, because they've had failures, uh, maybe you've given up on the, just fighting the whole pornography thing because, man, it's been a struggle since you were a kid and you've not seen victory. I believe the Lord will uh, want you to have victory. He wants you to keep fighting against that. And he wants to peel back the calluses uh, that you do battle against that, that lust of the flesh. So that's the idea of submitting your body. Uh, that would be the question you might want to ask yourself personally today is what is the area of my life most uh, close to reigning? What, what, what's the, the, the battle? Where's the, the front lines of the battle in this body? Where's the front lines? Because, man, that's, that's what probably needs the most attention to do battle against that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual weakness in high places. There's a spiritual battle that is waging, and, it's, and, it's, and I'm, I'm sad to say I, I'm concerned that men more than anything, if, if God can cause men of churches to, to fail, to be distant from the Lord because they've failed in their areas of sin and they're not walking as strong as they should be, then the church is going to be messed up. If I'm the enemy, I'm going to start with the men and make sure that they're failing and faltering and messing up and not being good husbands and not being good fathers. I'm going to, I'm going to do battle against those guys because, man, you get, if you're victorious in that, everything else is going to fall apart. That's, I guess, part of the reason why I think um, we, we've been wanting to call these 
Saturday sessions together because it's time to sharpen our swords. It's time to do battle against the things that we've just kind of become complacent about or uh, sort of either given up or half-hearted, but to say, let's, let's get back up to that place where we're saying, we're going to do battle. We're going to walk with the Lord. We're going to sacrifice our lives to God and let it be our, our reasonable service. Submit your body. Number two, um, submit your mind. Um, it says, and verse two, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transform, metamorphosis is the Greek word for that, uh, uh, that your mind would be altered and changed. Uh, one of the mistakes we make is I'm just who I am, and we, we want to celebrate that. But God didn't save you to keep you the way you are. I hope you know that. But God wants to renew your mind and, and do a transforming work in your mind. And one of the things, uh, you know, uh, you know, the battle is often in the mind. Not to be a new age or anything, but it is oftentimes mind over matter. Have you noticed that? When you make up your mind about something, and you really do, uh, oftentimes that's like the very beginning of real victory. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'll never forget when I was a young high school kid, and I was trying to compete on the bench press, and I was uh, struggling. Um, but I, I'll never forget, uh, I, was, I was right at 275 was my bench as a freshman, in high school. And um, so I met with this dude in Grants Pass, Jim Masterfield, who uh, held the world or the uh, Oregon state record in the bench for a while. Um, back then, I think it was only 500 and something. George wasn't around back in that time yet, uh, breaking all the records. But, but uh, this guy, Jim Masterfield, uh, and, and, his, and, and his buddy that trained with them, they hooked up with me and they were going to give me some pointers. And they said, so what's your max that you've got so far? And I said, no, 275. And they said, okay. Um, and they said, okay, we want you to get on the bench, and we want you to get ready, and we'll put the weight on for you, and then we'll, we'll do this. Uh, and so they, they put the plates on, and I was sitting there, and I was thinking, oh, man, here I am in front of Jim Masterfield and these guys, and I've got to, like, show them how weak I am. But so I really got kind of pumped, you know. And, and so I grabbed the bar, took it down. I wanted to make it look easy. I knew I could do this, so I wanted to make it look easy, and I, and I did pretty good. I dropped it down, touched my... My, my chest, and then, and then just powered it right back up, racked it. And I said, so what do you think? And, and they said, well, look at, look at how much weight you just did. And what they did is they put 275 on the big plates, but then they added a bunch of little plates on the end so I couldn't see them. I didn't notice them, but I just did 315. And uh, that's, a big, that's a big jump <laughs> from, from 275. And, and then uh, after that, I realized my brain, it's in my brain. That is oftentimes the thing that slows me down. And you, you guys that are in any sports, you know oftentimes there's so much mental. But that's what's going on in our spiritual life as well. Um, we need our mind transformed. Uh, it means that the Lord wants to, to work on the mind part of everything. He says, be transformed, changed. How are you, how's a man changed? By the renewing of your mind. That's where the Lord gets in there and starts working in your, in your mind and, and you know what's amazing about the mind work? Is you and I can't change our hearts. You could walk out of here and say, man, I really want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I really want to do that. But maybe, and nobody would admit this, but maybe your heart's just not in that. You're like, yeah, 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 I know I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave us, that's the call of men in the church. I know, I know, I know but I'm not doing that. I wished I could do it, but, it, you know, my heart is not in it. Well, here's the good news. You can't change your heart, guys. Um, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, the Bible says. But the Lord says, I will transplant your stony heart, and I'll put in a heart of flesh, the scriptures say. The Lord does a heart change in you, and that's his job. You and I can't change our heart, but listen, this is the key. You can change your mind. There, there's a thing that's called repentance. So when you've, when you've failed in a certain area of your walk with the Lord, you, what you do is you change your mind about it. And that's the first step. God will change your heart. That's his job. But he will not change. I would even say that if you read the scriptures, God has put it in your free will outside of his own sovereignty where he says, I'm going to leave it up to you. You need to repent. Change your mind. That's what that means. But 
when you change your mind, then I will take care of changing your heart, and it'll be a process through time. But if you don't change your mind, I can't change your heart. Guys, that's such a key on this stuff. Whatever it is that you most battle, um, if you don't change your mind first, then God, it's, it's almost like you're forbidding God to then do the work on your heart that needs to happen to where your heart will actually get to that place when God adjusts your heart and transforms your, your, your heart after you've changed your mind, then he'll change your life from the inside out. But until you do that, you and I will struggle. We can try to do the outward actions, but the heart is still walking in sin. So this idea of, of submitting your mind to the Lord is the first step, I believe, into seeing your heart changed. And that's what the, the Lord does. Um, and so, uh, you know, the question I guess I would say is how much do you give your mind to things of God? How much, if you had to guess what your percentages were, if you saw a little pie chart in your brain, how much time do you spend in your mind thinking about money? How much uh, percentage of your mind do you spend thinking about sex? How much time in your mind do you spend thinking about the Lord or your work? or your kids. That, see, those percentages, I think, are kind of important. Bible says if you keep your mind stayed upon the Lord, He will then keep you in perfect peace. But if we keep our mind stayed on sinful things, uh, then that's where we're going to go, and that's what, what our life is going to follow thereafter. Um, so we have to submit our mind. By the renewing of our minds, this is the way we're transformed. And uh, the world has a whole different mindset to have a mind like the Lord, to set your mind on things above, is a very different thing. The world says, defend yourself. The mind of the Christian says, die to yourself or deny yourself. The world says, gain your life. Um, the mind of Christ, if you're thinking of godly things, it says, lose your life. Um, uh, you know, the, the truth is, he wants us to be transformed. You're either, listen, guys, you are either a conformer or a transformer. Um, I'm not talking about a diesel truck that chains into a standing giant. Transformer. Uh, you're a conformer. You know, it's, it's like this. I remember one preacher I heard say, uh, you are either a thermostat or a thermometer. And I was thinking, wait, what, what's the difference? Well, the thermostat uh, and the thermometer are very different. The, the, the thermometer is affected by what's going on around it. Uh, so that, ther that thermometer, it, if it's hot, it gets hot. And the thing goes up, the mercury goes up. If it's cold, it's totally affected by what's going on around it. The thermostat changes what, what the atmosphere around it is. It, it, it changes the, the result. And, and that's the question you have to ask yourself. Am I a thermostat or a thermometer? Am I, am I being changed with everything that's around me, the people I work with, the things I watch on TV? Is that, what's, is that what I'm being conformed to? You're either conforming or you're transforming. And I've noticed there's no neutral ground. You're kind of sliding down the slippery slope of conforming to the world or you're, or you're going up and you're moving better into the being, of, of being a transformed Christian man. And that's what Paul is saying. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Um, it's interesting, there was a, another thing that I found was interesting a few years ago. A psychologist Ruth W. Brenda and all of her associates carried out a, interesting experiments where teenagers were uh, trying to handle group pressure. So what the plan was is they brought uh, 10 adolescent teens into a, a classroom setting um, for a test. And each group was then instructed to raise their hands when the teacher pointed to the longest line on three separate charts. So there were three lines on a, on a chart, and there was a really long one, a medium, and a short one. And uh, the, the, they were just simply asked, you just raise your hand when we point to the longest line. Now here's the funny thing. Out of those 10 students that were in there, every group that went through, they told all but one of those kids, point to the line that's second longest, not the longest line. So in this class, the teacher would point to the longest line and the medium line. But um, the one kid that was there out of the loop would say, oh, there's the longest line. He'd start to raise his hand. But when he realized nobody else was doing it, he'd put his hand back down. And then they'd point to the second line that was shorter. 
and, and then all the other students would very quickly raise their hand, and, and the, the student would look around. 85% of the time, the student would conform and just go with the rest of the class and say, that's the longest line. Um, and they did this over and over again. 85% of the teens conformed because they, they wanted to be uh, in the crowd rather than being correct. By the way, I think that explains education for the most part right there. Um, we got all these professors saying two plus two does not equal four anymore. And everybody's going, yeah, we agree. Uh, and we're all stupider because of it. But uh, that's a whole other topic. All that to say, um, are you more interested in fitting in and conforming with the world around you, the job that you work, the people that you work? Are you more interested in conforming and fitting in with those guys rather than being transformed by the renewing of your mind, being a man who stands out in the crowd even, as maybe being a goofball or a guy that's looked down upon or thinks that you're antiquated or prehistoric to believe in God and the Bible? If you haven't noticed, I have been impressed. I'm not, I, I'm not even saying who you should vote for or anything like that, but I, I've been impressed with Ben Carson. He's, I'm surprised he's gotten as far as he has, honestly. He's, he's, he looks like he's about to fall asleep. You know what I mean? Like every interview, he's like, uh, well, it's, it's like I, 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 that's the only thing I can criticize, though, because he's a, he's a brain surgeon, man. The guy is brilliant, and he's, 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 they've done movies about him. He's so brilliant in the, the separation of the conjoined twins and all that. And, um, and yet, I got to say, he's unwavering when it comes to his faith in, in the Lord. Uh, even if there's, I mean, he's got millions of people criticizing him in this country about him being a guy who believes in creation. Are you kidding me? And his argument is, man, I've looked into people's brains, and I've, I know the neurology, I know what's going on in there, and that didn't evolve. I mean, here's the, one of the smartest guys in the room, and he's saying evolution is a fantasy. Um, and he gets criticized. How could we elect a guy who believes in the fantasy of creation? And people are angry. He's been so beaten up just because he says, I'm a Christian, and um, I believe it. He, 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 probably the biggest heat he took was when he says, they asked him, well, would you support a Muslim in office? He said, I couldn't support a Muslim in office. And everybody freaked out. Um, to me, it's kind of funny. If, if I were him, I would have said, I support having a, um, a black Christian surgeon in office. That's, my, that's who I'm supporting. I don't support a Muslim. I want a Christian black surgeon. That's what I, I mean, it's so, so goofy that people made this into a big argument. But when they nailed him down, he says, we just really can't have Sharia law um, influencing America. And, and, you know, the way that Sharia treats women and the, the Sharia law is brutal and, and it's got some real huge flaws. I mean, that's just a no brainer. Everybody in America should know that, but he gets massive criticism but you know what? The thing is, I think even his foes, if, if you can kind of read between the lines a little bit, even his foes um, are looking at him going, man, this guy's unshakable. I think he's going to tire them all out. I, I really do. Uh, I, you know, he just, he just caught up to Trump uh, in the polls just this last week. And who would have thought? I mean, you got the antithesis of each other. You know, huge personality, huge hair. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing the difference. And uh, again, I'm not making a political statement. Not that I would. I would if I wanted to, by the way, make a political statement. But I, on this one, it's too early to tell and all that stuff. But, but at the same time, I have to admire any man who is not afraid to just say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe in creation. I believe that there are certain things that are sinful and going to hurt people. Like a guy that's running for office, the fact that he's getting as far as he has this far, uh, being a bold Christian, is kind of amazing to me. Um, may the Lord give you an ability to say, I am going to submit my life, a, a reasonable sacrifice to the Lord, my body and my mind. I'm going to give it all over to the Lord. And then the third and final thing is submitting not only your body, number one, your, your mind, number two, but number three, submitting your will. Because that's what we want. Uh, he even says that here, you know, that your mind be transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind, that you, that's Athe Creek Brothers, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Your job and my job as a sacrifice, 
our job description as a sacrifice is to prove what is good and what is acceptable in the will of God. If you don't sacrifice yourself and you live for yourself and you do your thing, you're going to prove what is your good, acceptable, perfect will of your life. But the truth is, if you, if you live long enough like I have and some of us older guys, we tell you, not so good. The more we live for ourselves, the more we've tried to make ourselves happy. You know, if you want to be miserable, just live for yourself. That's the best thing you can do is try to stand to your ground and do your thing. Man, man, we make that mistake every single time. Wouldn't it be great if we said, we're going to just make it our goal to just sacrifice our lives. We're going to lay our lives down. See, that's why this is kind of one of the beginning topics. The first topic was Christ is your life. I hope we get that. He is your life. But for that to start to practically work out, you've got to lay your life down. Uh, a reasonable ser- sacrifice. Lay your life down. It sounds so sacrificial, but, but when you really see the fruit and the benefit from it, it starts to show that God's good and acceptable and perfect will is amazing. When you are about ready to kick the bucket, and me too, we will never regret, never regret the, the things that we did when we laid our lives down. When we gave up our thing, when we died to ourselves for our wives, for our kids, for our families, for our service, for the church, when we just lay it all down, we will never regret that. You will regret living for yourself, trying to build up yourself, trying to make yourself look better. Uh, deny yourself. Um, the thing is, I, what we're going to do is, is continue to talk about what that looks like. Um, uh, next month, I'm going to cover some of these uh, similar topics, but here's what I want you to pray about this week and this, the, over this next month. I got, a, got an assignment for you guys. And that is um, to, to start with some of the devotion 101. When you're devoting your life, uh, that's kind of what we're really getting to. What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Christ where you die to yourself, lay down your life for the Lord? Um, I think that what that means is, is first is to, to have that relationship with the Lord really intact. And uh, there's some basic 101 things you need to do. Number one, uh, uh, and this is stuff you, you already know, but I'm just going to give it to you. Um, you got to pray. Be a man of prayer. Um, and I would argue that maybe not just uh, the little quick prayers. Those are great too. When you're just praying as you're driving down the road, and I hope, I hope you guys are learning what it means to pray without ceasing. That's what the Bible says. But in the Bible, the psalmist declared, I pray morning, noon, and evening. Deliberately. And I don't think that was just God is good, God is great, thank you for the food, amen. I want to challenge you guys. You know, where did Islam, by the way, get the idea of praying toward Mecca? It was actually a Christian, or it was a Jewish Old Testament thing that they did. They prayed toward Jerusalem. You got to remember, Islam came hundreds of years after, uh, you know, Judaism that came into Christianity. Um, But the the men of, of, of Judaism prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and night. What would happen if you started to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make just deliberate prayer a real part of my life. Oh, Brad, I'm too busy. Die. Die to yourself. Kill that. It's not worth it anyway. Just take some time. Maybe it is your lunch break uh, to just spend five minutes of your lunch break and just say, I'm going to devote this time to prayer. Real, deliberate, thoughtful prayer. Um, Praying in the morning before you leave your house. Just a short time of deliberate, thoughtful prayer. Um, and, and then also at night before you go to bed. I, I pray with my wife every morning and every night before we go to bed. Um, and, but I also have a time where I just say a prayer myself. Uh, and I've got a little routine that I try to get into. But I've found that prayer is one of the most powerful things that we don't tap into. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Um, but here's another thing that I'm going to tack on to that. Is, and that is time in the Word. If you're not already getting in the Word daily, I know this is, almost goes without saying, but you really, it's what we're called to do. Give attendance to the reading of Scripture, Paul says to young Timothy. And then there's a third piece to this I want, I want to add on. So you're going to, I want, I want you to, to consider my prayer life. Am I getting into the Word daily? And then what about jotting some things down? There's an old school idea. 
Um, you want to know, this, this, is, this is something you can do. I'm not going to make anybody do it. I'm not going to check on you. This is up to you. But this will be hugely rewarding if you do this. I'm just going to tell you. You pray in every day. You're, you're, you're reading the Word. And I'm not talking about 20 chapters of the Bible. Just, just, if you're just starting out, just read for five minutes every morning. Um, and, and, then, and then I want you to jot down two things. One, what were the prayers that you prayed today? What, what's the top three things you're praying for? And just short sentence, just write them down. And I'm praying for this, I'm praying for that, and I'm praying for the other. And then, and then, I want you to write down a scripture verse from, from the reading that you did that morning. Where you just write it down in, in that same little entry. And, and this is, the reason this is so cool is something about writing scripture. Man, as we get more into the iPads and stuff, that's cool, great, good for you, uh, if, you if that's your thing. But go old school. Get a little notebook for 99 cents and, and start writing down your, your prayers and, and uh, scripture every day and just start, just start making that part of your routine just for this next month. And then what we're going to do when we get up ne- next time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys how that went. I'm going to ask you how that went. And, uh, and, and what, I'm going to ask you, what, what are some of the observations about writing down a scripture and writing down your prayers. I want you to tell me, what did you observe about that practice? Was it a waste of time? Or is it a life changer? Or is it somewhere in between? That's, that's something I'm going to ask you guys. Um, so, so this is the key, man. Pray about it. what is your reasonable service? What is God asking you to lay down, let go of? Yeah, but brother, guys got to work. We got to do other stuff too. Yeah, you can do all that stuff just, it's, it's Christ in you the whole time you're doing all that other stuff. Um, let's all stand together, and I'm going to make this one easy. It might get a little harder as we go uh, on, on through these sessions, but what I want to do is I'm going to close in prayer, but instead of me praying, I'd like you brothers to start getting more comfortable praying with each other. Um, it's funny how people are terrified of this. You shouldn't be. There's nothing to be afraid of. Oh, but pray, what if I pray a theologically wrong prayer? Join the crowd! Welcome to Athey Creek. Um, you know, it's so funny how we all think we have to be, you know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon in order to pray. And, and if you don't pray in King James language, it's not a real prayer. Thou didst sustain all things. Th-. Like if you're praying like that, don't. Uh, pray, prayer is something. You know what's great about prayer is um, he's a father in heaven who hears the heart of his kids. And even if you're totally misguided in your prayer, I think the Lord still loves it. And, and honestly, I love it too. I love hearing a prayer of a new Christian it reminds me how lame my prayers have become. When I hear a new Christian who doesn't know how to pray, I think that's, that's the way you're supposed to pray. Uh, so, so I want to take off all the pressure. But what I want to do is have you guys circle up in groups of three or four. No more, nor less. Just three or four guys circle up right around you. And then what I want you to do is to pray in what we talked about. This scripture um, that he beseeches us to present our bodies by the mercies of God a living sacrifice, um, and, and that he wants us not to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. All this stuff that we talked about, just take a few minutes, we're going to close, circle up, pray together as brothers, and then I'm going to, uh, I'll close with a final prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll call it a morning. So let's do that right now. Break up into groups, and let's pray together. Just, just uh, lead, lead each other out in prayer. <laughs>